So, we're rolling? We're rolling. Right. Big deep breath. <sighs> and say, I am a tiger. <laughs> ah! Good evening and welcome to the Rissington Podcast. Hello! Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> My heart can't take this much more. <laughs> it's bulb time! <laughs> well, have we agreed what episode it is? 23, isn't it? Oh, I thought it was season 2, episode 3. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good welcomes. Good welcomes. Um, we are speaking to you uh, this week from my kitchen. Yes. Uh, Having just eaten a rather wonderful kedgeree that oh, you cooked. Oh, too kind. It was really. Very lovely. Too kind. Um, it was very salty, but apart from that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you added too much salt afterwards. I did. I did yeah. too much salt. Um, we were planning to record in a pub this time, but... Just worked out this way. Yeah, just worked out this way. My we, we are going to do it, aren't we? We are going to do pub, definitely. Yeah. We're trying out our new kit for those people keen on telling us about the sound. And I, I don't mind people yeah. saying about the sound, but we're well, going... you've worked out this really nice minimal system where we can basically record anywhere, can yeah. we? Yeah. So um, should be good. You can just, uh, just pop into the toilets in town. Yes, yes. Well, that, get a bit know, of echo. That'll be the Pissington Rodcast, as yeah, uh, we yeah. used to call it. <laughs> or, as Miss Jen calls it, the Rissington Pitcast. Rissington Pitcast, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Miss Jen. Cool. Shall we just get on and crack on with the housekeeping? Um, my catchphrase this week is if you see someone without a smile, Give them one of yours. Oh. Which isn't so much a catchphrase, but it is a phrase that I saw in a van oh. uh, parked outside the house yeah. last week. Yeah. Um, and it, rather than making me feel all fluffy and warm, mm. it actually made me feel kind of quite kind of worried and disturbed. Yes. Well, I was... The actual kind of like taking off of a smile of your face <laughs> and it just seemed a bit... Maybe I just because I watched The Joker. Yeah, you know? maybe. Have you watched it? Have you? Yeah. Is it good? It's like it's like a Ken Loach film. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just really depressing. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's gripping as well, but it is yeah, utterly depressing. Yeah. It's a bit like there's a birthday I went to see Children of Men. Oh, that's a brilliant film. And I just like, I just this is brilliant, but at the same yeah. time, I feel so miserable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Children of Men's one of my favourite films. I know they're all going to die. Yeah. And they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. And it's just oh, God, one by one, we get picked off. So just give me that one more last time, and I'll see if I can hold the kedgery down. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll do it in the special voice. Okay. If you see someone without a smile, give them one of yours. Very good. Yeah, lovely. Okay. Um, next bit of uh, housekeeping I want to do quickly is uh, a brilliant tweet. Uh, someone who had uh, a scented candle, and the label on the side says, a candle for fucking meetings. Brilliant. Smells like this could have been an email, and this is why I drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just, uh, it, that really resonated with yeah, me. Yeah, it's nice. Because so many meetings I've had, like, yeah. That could have been an email. That also, <laughs> and this is why I drink, puts me in mind of Doug Stanhope. Have you ever watched this stuff? No. No. I'm not sure whether you'd enjoy it or not. <laughs> it's quite brutal. Okay. But um, he used to do something with Charlie Brooker on Newswipe. Hmm. But his catchphrase was, I'm Doug Stanhope and that's why I drink. No, right. <laughs> but his stand-up is... Oh. Yeah, well, I'm for trying it. Yeah. yeah. Give yourself a little half-hour window and then probably go, that's probably enough for this month. It's pretty full on. <laughs> you have to do like, something like watch a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, something, yeah, something gentle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> House on the Prairie or something. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and the last thing I want to do for my housekeeping is uh, the long-time listener shout-out. Uh, this week I want to shout-out to Carolyn Wood. Yes. Uh, otherwise known as Pixlingo. Yes. Um, lovely, lovely copywriter mm. who has been very um, supportive and... Of me too, actually. In... <laughs> yeah, surprise. Not the hashtag. Right. Well, probably. <laughs> but no, I've, I've, no, Caroline. Yeah. We've had many good chats over Skype. Yeah. yeah, and I love following her on Instagram because she's a gorgeous dog that she's got. Mm. Um, yeah, but just a great uh, copywriter and uh, strategist when mm. it comes to the words. And uh, I don't know if this is still true, but used to be one of the leading editors on the list apart. Was, yeah. I don't Indeed. know if she's still doing that. Uh, not at the moment, no. Yeah, no. because I, th- I seem to remember having a conversation where I was like, yeah, you can do it, John. I was like, all right, I'll get right back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, about 10 years later. <laughs> see you for dust. Yeah. So there you go. So that's all my housekeeping. Right then, uh, what's up next? Thoughts of the week, thoughts of the week. Thoughts of the week, thoughts of the week. So, uh, fun for the week, John. I haven't had a chance to look this week, so it's... Uh, no. It well, quick, after have... last time's uh, big, fat, uh, high-contrast serif, I've gone for something uh, very opposite. So it's, you could almost say it's a very characterless sans serif. Mm. But it is completely open source. Um, but it's very uh, pertinent, I think, for the listeners because it is designed specifically for screens. What, an alternative to Roboto? Mm. My God. Absolutely. So, um, this is by uh, Rasmus Anderson, who's a designer who's used to work for people like Spotify and uh, I think it was Facebook after that, but he's now working for Figma. Mm. Okay. And he was working on this font called Inter in his spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he wanted something that worked really well at 11 pixels. Because um, a lot of fonts really you know, break down at that size. Mm-hmm. And obviously, yeah. a lot of fonts are designed to be working uh, for print or at least for screen quite large yeah. sizes. Um, I remember back in the day, we used to use Vedana. Just tiny text because it was the, the clearest yeah, yeah. sort of design. Uh, but so he started off, um, and the, the link you can see all about the process. But he started off designing it for eleven pixels, and uh, it's it isn't like a sort of a, a pixel font like back in the days of Flash that we yeah yeah, yeah those trendy ones. But it's it mm. really does work. It's got a really tall X height for the for the font, um, and even though it's kind of it's a very Sort of, I don't think he'd be offended if I said it was a bit of a characterless sans serif. That's what you want out of your uh, reading font, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's still. I still really like it. You know, mm. it's still. It's a nice sort of blank canvas, and mm. the fact that settles it's into the background whilst you're reading. I'd imagine. Yeah, honestly. So Figma mm. have actually adopted that for their interface mm. font. Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, that's my, and then it's completely open source. You can mm. um, submit uh, your patches to it if you want to help oh. improve it. Um, so yeah, that's all available on that link. Sounds like my kind of font, that one. It's yeah, yeah. and actually, having having said, I have to say, even though it's designed for really small text, mm. it does look good large. Mm. You know, they use it for um, the nice big headlines as well. So the easy it's, way to see it is just go on to Figma. Go on to Figma, yeah. yeah. Figma.com. See it in action. Well, that's a great place for UI designers to go and see. Is it going to be good for my UI? Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> So, and that's that's the one for the week. But mm. the quick mention, because after the last time when I did Times New Bastard, yeah. uh, there's another one that came out for Halloween, which I'm sure everyone has already seen the mm. link for, but Helvetica. 
which is Helvetica with a uh, big space between the, the hell and the, the, the <laughs> And an extra the, la. There's a la. Um, which is basically all the Kernings shot to shit. Yeah. Um, which people have been saying, oh yeah, it'll really drive designers wild. Where if you've been, you know, you grew up as a designer in the 90s, you'll be thinking, oh, it's like David Carson, yeah. like a ray gun. That was great. <laughs> I saw David Carson talking. Um, Did you? I went to see a talk of his, yeah. Oh. And um, he was doing it on the old-fashioned projector with the slides, um, oh, which really? set on fire at the end of the talk. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was intentional. Oh, that's so David Carson. Yeah, I was like, just smoke everywhere. <laughs> yeah. like, brilliant. Bits of burnt bits on the slides. But he, just, most, yeah. he mostly talked about his love of cycling and surfing. He didn't really give as much design talk to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just the, it was a real kind of inspiration seeing him mm. growing up and just this kind of, you know, there's rules, but... Nah, He's divisive, that guy. Just do what you like. I know designers <laughs> who really, like, hate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. I, mean, I can believe it. Yeah. I can believe it. But at the same time, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's a... It's an instant David Carson, anyway, yeah. this font, so it's all good. And You're that's good. all for me this week. Yes, and I haven't had a chance to look, John, but they sound... That, that UI one sounds perfect. Mm. Sounds right up my street. Lad. Right up your alleyway. Yes. Right, shall we move on to... UX Technique of the Week! Ah! UX Technique of the Week! Did it once. Sorry, that was my favourite jingle, just because I was kind of channeling my inner Brian Blessed. <laughs> well, I don't know, you see, you came. You might have been channeling Blessed, you came out a bit more Bill Bailey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was good, though. You've got to have the resonance to do yeah. Blessed, it's got to be yeah, yeah. quite hard to, to copy. Yeah. Um, okay, UX Technique of the Week. So I'm going to keep it quite brief this week, because we have got quite a few UX questions coming up. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to mention, and it isn't even a UX technique, it's a way of thinking, really. Um, and it's a way of life. Yes, a way of life. It is definitely. Um, so the social model of disability. Oh. Now, I'm quite embarrassed to tell you that I hadn't heard about this up until about eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when you hear it, it makes sense, and it's everything that web standards is. So I'm sure Tim Berners-Lee, when he was designing the web, must have been aware of this. But basically, I'll read you out what Scope says about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Scope says the model says that people are disabled by barriers in society, not by their impairment or difference. Barriers can be physical, like buildings, not having accessible toilets, or they can be caused by people's attitudes to difference, like assuming disabled people can't do certain things. And I think it's just a nice statement and a reminder of, particularly for us who grew up in the web standards world, of that's why. Mm. That's why it matters. Um, there's nothing to teach there or to learn there, just, you know, it's a way of thinking. Um, and we're going to get complaints now because we don't transcribe the podcast. I but I just assume nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I just think it's a nice one. And for me, it was like, oh, that's what that's called. So it's an actual mm. thing. So people can go and do some more research. Mm. If like me, yeah. you've you know you've always had that feeling of this is the right thing to do for these reasons. But it's actually quite a formal, real thing. Oh, that. Just very quickly, Microsoft, mm. the enemy of the... Enemy of developers our age and their IE6 shenanigans, but the uh, inclusivity team there have done quite a nice PDF um, that I think also helps illustrate the benefits of thinking this way. Mm. Um, and the great example they have in the PDF is they show somebody with one arm, then the next picture is somebody with a broken arm, and then the next picture is somebody holding a baby. And it's like, you know, there's real benefits to designing accessibly, not just for people with let's say permanent disability, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but mm. you know, people with temporary disabilities or 
you know, carrying a baby. So I'll link to that as well. I just thought that was uh, yeah, that's very brilliant. I remember when that that came mm. out. It was um, mm. it was a real opening. Well, really just, well put together. I, I really like the pictures because they make it so clear to go. Oh, <gasps> that's the benefit of thinking that way. So, and I think I'm getting a sense. I don't know whether it's probably just the people I'm following on Twitter, but there seems to be more of a move back to let's get back to this web standards thing. Mm. It's fast. It's good. It works. Yeah, so. I never know if that's just a. a, a result of the people that you follow it possibly right because i don't really follow react developers yeah because it doesn't make any sense to me um, <laughs> so it possibly is that i'm following but i'm glad to see it's still alive because mm. i was getting a sense that it was a bit dead in the water mm. Mm. Yeah, anyway definitely. Yeah. yeah so those are those are my thoughts for that week i just thought it was interesting actually that the uh last time we talked about the uh the insights what was it called again insider insight insider insights. or peer-to-peer -peer, as i want to call it because insider insight it's, is oh, trademark. trademark yeah, yeah. Uh, so my friend kevin was uh, on the way to london to about to do some stakeholder interviews and, mm. and heard the podcast and uh that was a good timing to, yeah, to good. use that different technique. So, also, I like the sound of a man who's willing to improvise on new lessons learned on the train. This yeah. is pretty much my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good news. Excellent. And now it's time for your lovely questions. So can I uh, ask the first question? Mm. Uh, so Donna Barbara... Mm. Asks, what's your favourite pizza? Mm. Do you have Do you have any opinions on this? I do. Go on. Do you, shall I get mine out of the way? Because I can see in your eyes that you've no, got, I've got very little. Got to this say. big list. No, 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 no. I just have two answers. That's all. Oh, my favourite pizza is basically uh, anchovies, capers, olives, onion. Yeah. Um, artichokes. Oh, artichokes. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be good. Yeah. That's a good combination. Oh, yeah. And it's the pizza that actually. Sorry, well, my voice went a bit. Got you. Bit, bit, bit cold. Uh, Cockney pizza. Cockney pizza, yes. <laughs> uh, one you can't get at a lot of places. Mm. You know, certainly can't get it from like Domino's, going to take away crap. No. But it's, um, you know, Pizza Express, I think, used to do it but don't anymore. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's it kind of hard one to, to find, but sometimes you get a really good like Italian pizza place and yeah. you actually have decent. My pizza. At that, what about that time we went out with. Uh... Mr. Andy Budd for lunch. That had uh, we had pizza at that place, mm. Soho Farmhouse. Yeah, um, oh name drop. Yep. Yeah. What Soho Farmhouse? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just I'd... down the road from the Beckhams. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Andy said they weren't around to see him this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I did suggest we go into the Weatherspoons in Whitley. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but that is partially my answer as well because that the pizzas there were my favourite pizzas, which are the stone baked ones. Ah. And I'm happy with cheese and tomato, to be honest. Yeah. Hello. It's the wife back. Oh, hello. My wife. Hello. How are you? <laughs> How are you doing? Hello. Good, Good to see you. I press pause. So this one is from Fred Divnar. Very <laughs> I like good. it. Yeah. Very good. People of a certain age. Yeah. Fred, Fred Divnar. Look him up. Yeah. Steeplejack. Yeah. Lovely line. Uh, it was lovely to hear your soothing tones after 10 years. Thank you. Uh, one thing you didn't really mention as changing in that period was the advent of UX. Mm. It wasn't a thing back then. It was all just web design. When being a web designer meant, well, it meant still meant nothing, apparently. 
But that's not the point. How do you know when you're doing UX? It's all just design, isn't it? And how does an old fogey survive in the young UX world? So... Oh. Well, I, I'm going to just talk very quickly on this one because I think you've got, probably got a more insightful answer for this one. But originally, I remember a time when I used to think, oh, yeah, UX is just design, mm. you know, and design is one part of UX. Mm. But there is so much more to it. I mean, in terms of you know, information architecture, research is a mm. huge one. Um, that, yeah, UX design, in a sense, is just like any other kind of design. Like, you've got to know what you're designing for. Yeah. You know, what the context demands, what the limitations are. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that if you were designing uh, some sort of tactile print design that someone's going to use for some purpose, yeah. you need to test that and you need to research how, you know, how it can mm-hmm. be printed and how it can be made. Um, it, it, everything you design for has got its own special requirements. And, you know, yeah. designing for apps or interfaces is... That's how, that's how I think about UX. In some ways, no different. That's exactly Is that how, what you were going to say? Yeah, essentially, the only thing I was going to add about how do you know when it's UX is quite often now I find myself considering the whole picture. So back in the old days, you'd be asked to design a website and then you'd start uncovering all the problems mm. and realise quite quickly what the client was actually asking you to do was help them redesign the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that UX is just, this, for me at least, is just slightly formalising that process. I understand that when... If it's a web-based product we're doing, mm. we're going to have to look at the support. We're going to have to look at all the services around that. Um, so that, for me, is the only difference. But What about the so, last bit of that question about how an old yeah, fogey Yeah, this, this one makes me feel a bit uncomfortable because I think... Uh, so when I was at the Design Leadership Conference, oh, that yeah. we've mentioned a few uh, times, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh, yeah. they had the notion of having design granddads on the team, which I quite liked. So oh, you that, like that? Well, how does an oh. old fogey survive in the young world of UX? Is Well, there's a bit of wisdom there, a bit of experience, a mm. bit of... Yeah, calm down, young people. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that when you when you said that phrase, I my back immediately got. Yeah, I felt quite rankled. comfortable with it. You know, I just sort of felt, oh, dare you, you little. Yeah. <laughs> well, we lead down a, a, a terrible path of is is there ageism in yeah. the? Uh, oh, yeah. I yeah. think there's all kind of isms in the in the world we work in. Well, that's um, it. I kind of saw like design granddads being mm-hmm. part of that ageism, you know. Yeah. And that being separating people who are, you know, are mm. older. I was feeling a bit that way a few months ago, but I did a job interview, which ultimately I didn't take for various reasons. It was an amazing job, but I had because I had decided to step out of the management role and go more down the contributing role, I thought, oh, I'm going to suffer here because I'm older. But actually, I walked the interview, to be yeah. honest, and it was just... How does an old fogey survive in the young world of UX? Pretend you're still young. <laughs> Give off that young vibe. Yeah. Do you not think there's an element of of just keeping up to date? Yeah. You know, of experimenting and trying new things still. Definitely, and it's acknowledging to yourself you can't possibly... So the UX discipline, as you describe, it's, mm. it's so big. And mm. it's like, well, okay, where do you want to focus? My, my thing is always, where's my focus right now? So if I want to focus on research, then... Yeah, well, maybe I should hook up with a researcher and work with them and learn a bit more about it. But I think we put ourselves under too much pressure to know too much. Yeah, and, and I uh, think actually in some ways the, the act of keeping up makes me feel even more behind. Yeah, I've taken to sort of bookmarking things and saying in my head and saying, okay, so Design Sprints was a good one for a long while. I was like, I'm going to bookmark that. I've not got an opportunity to do it, but I'll bookmark it. I'm aware of it and let the job dictate okay, I need to learn about design sprints now because we're going to do one. That's, yeah. You know, fake it till you make it sort of approach, really. Well, yeah, exactly. Why not?
I don't know, I think we should just slide into it. Slide. It just say. But we should introduce where we are, because it would be an obvious so, change. So we've moved venue. Atmosphere. Mm. Yeah. We ran out of time recording the last one yeah. at my house, and we're now in the Fox Inn in Barrington. Which is Rissington, essentially. Yes. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. This is the pub I used to pass on the way into Rissington, where it used to have a, a dog that ran after cars. <laughs> you try I remember this. Yeah. Oh, God, I was worried about knocking the dog over and having angry landlord after me. Um, but we've had many lunches down here when we were at Risington, mm. out by the river, although tonight, <laughs> not the night. <laughs> yeah, not the tonight night. it's cold, it's wet, yeah. damp, it's horrible. It's also worth mentioning that we've changed venue as well because we're about to eat again, otherwise people will think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm very hungry, the mm. food is on the way. So. Mm. But so yeah, we might so pause for that. We're in a nice warm pub at least. Okay, so should we carry on with the questions? Yes, let's do that. Yes. So now I apologise if I mispronounce this surname. Yeah, but, but uh, what you think. Tim Hugeden. No, I think Hugeden, but as well. Yeah. But I'm sure you can tell us if we got that yeah. wrong. I'm fairly sure Tim has been, Yeah. he's been around. I know him from the social medias. I'm not sure we've ever met though. Yeah. So, but, uh, anyway, he asks, what are your thoughts and views on modern design systems? Right. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's quite an open question, really. Mm. It's, you know, I, there's no sort of specifics there. But um, I, 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 it kind of it triggers something in me mm. because people have gone bang on about design systems as if they're a new thing that have been invented in the last, mm -hmm. last few years, which they're not. And, mm. you know, they've been around for quite a while. But. Um, there's also that element of people who kind of, you know, put their buttons into a sketch library and you know, make components and they go, hey, we've got a design system. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, <laughs> but it is more than that, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, I find them, I find them quite, quite a useful term to bringing together lots of things that were otherwise disparate. Mm. So you've got, you might have um, your sort of tone of voice stuff in there as well and your brand, brand proper brand guidelines. Mm. I think the other thing I like about them is we were talking about SAS variables Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, mm -hmm. um, design tokens. So I think the thing I like about the modern way of thinking about them is they are meant to be a communication tool between designers and developers. Mm. They're bridging that gap a little bit mm. when they're done well. I think it's also a good tool between designers. Mm. So most projects I work on, I, I tend to be the only designer, mm. to be honest. But in the past, like, for example, at Opera, mm. I have worked with teams, you know, so... Yep. Um, you know, how do you stop each designer doing their own thing mm. that they feel is appropriate for that thing? Yeah. Um, and having no consistency at all within, mm. the, um, within the design. So it's, you know, it just makes absolute sense. Mm. Also kind of, I think, relieves a bit of pressure. Yeah. A bit of thought, like when people say, you know, oh, where do I start? And do I even know what padding to use on this yeah. dialogue? You yeah. Know? Um, that's it's great because mm. you've already got that, and you know if you think that that needs to change, that actually that you know system is wrong, and but at least it's system wide then rather yeah. than yeah yeah. I so. think I think um, taking other people's design systems. I was thinking about this the other day. Mm. Just taking them directly off the shelf has never been that successful for me, mm. but I have a tendency to go pilfering many design systems yes. and putting together. Yeah. I think there's some. Yeah, there's something to be said for going and finding the good ideas. But yeah, I've tried numerous times to go, right, I'm going to do this from material design or I'm going to go and look at Salesforce's design system. And inevitably it's like, 
not everything I need is there. No. So. But sometimes you get good ideas for structure. Yep. For even for wording, actually, I've nicked yep. wording oh, yeah. quite a few yeah. designs. I quite it? often go to Mailchimp and look at how did they do their tone of voice stuff again? Yes. It was really good. Really it's just, well done. It's so nicely laid. And, yeah. And it's readable. It's things mm. that, you know, this design guidelines are a thing that people don't want to read. Mm. But yep. you know, I mean, the design system is slightly different than that. But it's. Yeah, yeah. How, the, how they present it yeah. and how teams can use it. Mm. And I remember I, I used, trying to use one from a, a big company mm. um, and using their React components mm -hmm. and their design system. Um, and it was, it was funny because it just seemed like basically it was very flexible because it kind of allowed you to do almost anything. You know? Yeah, I've, do you know I've been in that situation though where I was trying to build out a design system for a company that bought lots of other technology companies. Mm. And so there was lots of different technology stacks all over the place, like a Rails team over there, React team. And the design system ended up being so unopinionated that mm. it became close to useless because yeah. the React team didn't want the HTML because they were like, we well, need to translate that into divs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a No, but it was, you need to translate that into React components for us. Mm. It's like, and then the other team were like, well, we're not using React. So, mm. yeah. So they are good, but I think like anything else, right? You can just conclude they're only as good as the people willing to use them. Yeah. And yeah. you know, if, if nobody's going to engage with them. I think for me, a key component of making a design system useful mm. is how it all fits together. Mm. So you know, it's very easy to come up with. Well, it's not very easy, but you know, it's mm. it's, it's it's common to sort of do all the little components or mm -hmm. here are the blocks. Um, but what's great, I think, the design system is where they. They look at how it fits together. Mm. You know, when when this is with this. Yes, you know, and that is that? that is the hard bit actually, mm. isn't it? Because it's a can, lot of work. Yeah, but it's yeah. Yeah, those. Well, that's the templating bit, isn't it? Really, mm. where he's saying, yeah. I mean, what I did, I did this um, branding for iHasco a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. no, last year, sorry, last year. But it was uh, one of the first time I've ever done this, and we laid out the style guide in terms of. Components again, so you've mm. got you know like logo, color, um, textures, tech patterns, all these elements are, are what makes the brand. Mm -hmm. And then you know here are examples in each area, like you know display stands, social media posts, websites, mm. how those can fit together. Mm. But we just did little thumbnails, yeah. So no real content, mm. but just showing you how you know, these things fit together and yep. can like, like lead the eye down the page. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Mm. So, um, and I've, that, that, that's why I've been quite useful actually. I've seen, seen people do that and mm. that's really what makes a design system. Yeah. You know, mm. exceptionally nice. Yes. So yes, we get a thumbs up for design systems, but like everything else, just a tool. Just, yeah, it takes a lot of work yeah. and you've got to keep evolving. Yeah, it's not a shortcut, I think that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It's not a shortcut to anything, it's just mm. a different approach. And you kind of got to, just got to start somewhere, haven't you? Mm. You know, you've got to leap in and yeah. keep updating it. Right, moving on to more important matters, John. Oh, come on then. Oh yes, um, Greg's Sausage Rolls discuss, and this is asked by Mark Norman Francis. Yes, Norm. who, who put a uh, I don't know what the correct term is, but a prefix of mix, which I've never come across before. Oh, do you, oh, he's gender neutral. Mm. Oh, so, but I had to look the term up because I, mm. I think it's it's pronounced mix or mux. I'm not sure, but I was like, oh, yeah. I, did, I didn't know about that. Mm. Anyway, but yes, yeah. Greg sausage rolls. Go, John. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering what angle Norm's coming from on this. Whether he's expecting us to slag him off or well, he said he got lots of opinions. Mm. To be honest, so. 
it's it's a warm thing to put in your pocket on a cold day. Mind <laughs> <laughs> you, so so is a poo bag from my yeah. dog. You know, <laughs> um, it's I I quite like the vegan sausage rolls. Mm. I tried one at Christmas, and it yeah. was it was that crunchy pastry was mm. really well done, and because it's that kind of fluffy kind of flaccid sausage mm -hmm. filling yeah. type thing. Cheap, nasty, yeah. delicious. But hot yeah. and filling and, you know, tasty. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. It's not what I prefer as a sausage roll, which is that kind of really deeply filled, yeah. with that kind of juicy meat and... Yeah, proper puff pastry. Yeah. I think you've hit the key for me with Greg's sausage rolls. They've got to be warm. Mm. They're not good. They're not so good cold. Oh, no. Yeah. No. So. But then the vegan ones, I think, stay warmer longer mm. than the meat ones. Okay. Well, there's always the microwave as well. When did you last have a Greg sausage roll? Mm, a little while back. I've been, I tell you, my thing, we haven't really explained who, what Greg's is for those people who don't live in the UK. Oh, I guess yeah. we should do, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a pastry stroke bakery a chain. Yeah. But it's um, popular in the UK because basically it's, it's good, clean, cheap. Yep. Well, I say good. It's it's good for the price. It's a very British alternative to McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and their breakfast stuff is actually yeah. I've eaten more of those recently than have their bacon and sausage <laughs> baguettes with a coffee for three and three pound twenty five. I know. Yeah, well, this is it. So you can go in, you can get your donuts or yum yums. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you all can of get those things. Sandwiches and you know any kind of bakery type product. Um, but you know, you you buy this sort of massive stuff, and it's quite cheap. Cheap, yeah, and it's all right. You know, I'm I'm all for Greg's, to be honest. I'm not, no, I'm I'm not snobbish in any way. No, about I'm Greg's. not anti Greg's. I don't know whether we want to tackle this before we've eaten, but this is a absolute stonker of it's a question. It's a beast of with several questions, and mm. it's very in depth. And it's one of these things that I kind of feel that I need to go away and think about for a year, and then come up with a more reasoned answer, but yeah. it's never crap. So this is from Kyle. The first part is, UX design specifically is very close to a science and probably should be a science. Mm -hmm. How often do other designers feel their conclusions are scientifically sound versus intuition and opinion? I want to take the UX bit out of that to start with mm -hmm. and just go design specifically is yes. very close to a science. Mm. Is it? Is it? I mean, the immediate reaction I have is, do you remember Doug Bowman and Google and the um, 50,000 shades of blue? Oh, God. Yeah. That they measured mm. um, quantitatively mm. and decided this was the best blue based on the numbers. Yeah, A-B yeah. testing yeah. The, the, the shade of blue. Yeah. And that feels like the extreme end of making design too scientific, mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. an experienced designer will go, this is a nice blue. Yeah. I think... Because he says about you know, versus intuition or opinion. Mm. Now, intuition is a big thing with design, mm. especially the more experienced you are, because that's what intuition tends to be. Is that yeah, yeah. You, you're building on your experience, and you know from previous experience, you know how to do things, and you do that intuitively, mm. and you wouldn't necessarily know that until you sort of stop and analyse it and break it down and say, ah, right, doing this because of that and that and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you find that when you're presenting back that you're like, mm. actually, the more experience they get, the more, well, I can reason through this because, mm. yeah, even though I don't have to reason through it whilst I was designing it. Yeah. I think the other thing about this for me is because I'm self-taught and have no formal qualifications, mm. I could almost be slightly offended by this question. It's like, well, <laughs> it feels like... I don't know which way to read it, because it could be, and he, he goes on to ask, actually, um, you know, 
and we'll skip to it, but how much of a science background, psychology, neuroscience, should UX designers have in an ideal world? And I think that's... I, I, I can see the need for things like psychology. But that's been done, right? It's, you know, there's all kinds of books of, you know, 100 things every designer needs to know about psychology. That's been explained. Mm. You don't need to go yeah. and get a psychology degree no. to understand the basic principles no. of how patterns are perceived and mm. what's it called? I can't remember what the principles are called. But, you know, when things are clustered together, they're going to be perceived as belonging together. All of those basic design principles. Yeah. You don't need to go to university and study psychology or no. neuroscience to do and that. And actually, in that sense, I'm, I suppose I'm actually in the same boat as you in mm. that I'm self-taught. Mm. You know, I studied illustration. I didn't study mm. design. Yeah. And everything I've learned, I've learned on the job mm. as I've gone along, mm. um, starting off in print and then ending up in digital. Mm. So um, I, think I kind of tend to think that when it talks about science... It's a, I, again, it's that back of my head trigger of people being up themselves a little bit. There's a, this is why I'm. This is why this question is big because there's there's an element of possibly snobbery to it, mm -hmm. or it no, it increases the barrier to entry as soon as mm. you say you have to be a scientist to be a designer. Yeah. But that said, I've worked with people in the UX world. I've been lucky enough to work with people who do have a science background, and you can learn a lot of, lot of them. Mm. You know, I've worked with an anthropologist who taught me quite a lot about, here's a really good approach to usability testing, yeah. um, which isn't your standard, here's a list of tasks, work your way through them. So I think how much science background does a designer need, a UX designer need? I think it's a mix in the team. Yeah. If you can get that mix and there's some scientists in there, great. Yeah. You know, I'm working on a data project. We've just had a developer join who has a background in data science and it's like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, so that's good. Um, yeah, that's a good point actually. Yeah. And also, I think there's the, one important thing I think that's very is just being open mm. to new ideas. Yes, yeah. And not sort of having that closed off mind of, you know, I've done this research alone, I know exactly what I need to do. Mm. Um, you know, everything depends on context. And yep. not every context is the same. You know, often it's quite a unique for mm -hmm. each time. So I think as long as you're open to, you know, exploring different ways of doing things, different ways of looking at it, yep. and it's all, you know, as always, you know, thinking about the end person using it. Mm. Which I think is part of his leading follow-up question. How can we improve our ability to research, uh, to reach scientifically sound conclusions? Mm. I think it's quite a simple answer to that for me, maybe an oversimplistic answer. So there is the whole scientific method approach of you create a hypothesis, you go and test it. Mm. Um, and then you need you do need a little bit of understanding of how that works and how you, um, how you measure, how you do the research properly. So yeah, there's, we can definitely take inspiration from science, mm. but I think, I think, I, I could just couldn't sit here and say no. Every designer should now be a psychologist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it just excludes too many talented people for me. Mm. Yeah, I've met some. I'm sure you have done some incredibly yeah. talented people who are much more on the artistic side. This feels good to me. Mm. Yeah, and you look at it and go, yeah, that does look amazing. Mm. So totally. Yeah, totally. that's a tough question. Mm. Shall we move on? Mm, okay. Um, diddly squat, whoever they are. <laughs> when you last did the podcast, Kufon was brand new and modern web fonts didn't exist. Yes. Um, type kit started 10 years ago this week. I think mm. it was. What will happen on the web in the next 10 years? Mm. Well, my first thought, mm. which was a very pessimistic thought, was everything's going to be made to be an AMP website. Yeah. Google AMP. Yeah. And the first thing I thought yesterday when they, because Chrome were announcing this thing where they're 
um, measuring performance of websites and warning you they're like branding it mm. and grading you know the how slow your website is mm. and I think oh, I bet this is a push for Google AMP yeah Google AMP makes me a little bit depressed mm. because we had that sorted 10 years ago. Yeah. It was called Web Standards. Mm. It was called as little as possible and as fast as possible. Yeah, and just caring about performance. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and Google's almost, I mean, I might be incredibly naive, but Google's almost gone, oh, look, the web's broken. We'll fix that for you. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of the worrying thing. I'm trying mm. to think of something optimistic about the next 10 years. Well, it's diff I think it's because of the web. And it's, mm. that is muddy water right now. Mm. Um, and will native take over? Possibly, if we don't get our shit yeah. together a little bit. Well, it sounds like it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I would like to think that there would be a reaction to, to where we are now. So, mm. you know, quite heavy websites, a lot of trackers, a lot of JavaScript. Yeah. A lot of mobile web is absolutely bollocks. It really oh, is. God. It is such a mess. You'd be lucky if you see any content. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, beneath all yeah. the. Except this. Oh, then we want to sell you this. Then we want to yeah. sell you that. Oh, and now. Oh, join the newsletter. Yeah. yeah. And now oh, sign God. up to read the rest of the story. It's like, oh, oh. my God. So I'm, yeah. What is? What can we be optimistic about? I don't know. Maybe there will be a, a massive backlash. And, mm. It's not good. It's not necessarily good for people's careers, but I almost wonder if uh, one possibility is that everything gets so bad and so siloed, like Facebook's over there, Google's owning the corporate web, mm. that there might be a little bit of a rebellion and the web might get, actually go back to its roots a little bit. I would hope so. Wouldn't. It's not going to be good for people's careers in terms of making money, but it would be quite refreshing <laughs> to see this. And there's a, there is a shift to people own your own yeah. data and publish for yourself. Yeah. And, well, I think the, the push for privacy is a big one. So, mm. like, I'm, I'm working on a website at the moment that um, I was pushing hard for the client to um, to not use Google Analytics, mm -hmm. but to use something called Fathom. Mm -hmm. um, because if we use Fathom, then we wouldn't have to have a privacy notice. It would oh, okay. be, uh, there's no cookies, um, and it, it doesn't give you like too much information. Google okay. Analytics is very good at giving you the gender, the you know, yeah, yeah. the age, you know. Um, which you don't need. Well, mm. I, I don't think this company needs at least. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, there are things like Google AdWords for which they need yeah. you know, the Google Analytics. Mm. It's a shame that but I think the, the approach of Fathom is great. I think mm. it's not the only one this kind of... You know. Yeah, I've seen various self-hosted ones, but I don't know mm. if they set cookies. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it just really nicely approached. Mm. And that idea of, yes, you can get some data and you don't have to be mm. you know, seen as a... Privacy whore. Yeah. yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? I just, I'm just imagining myself in the edit saying privacy whore and thinking, yeah. that's not what I meant. I'm going to open with that. A privacy <laughs> bastard. A privacy <laughs> bastard. What can we think optimistically about the web? I think, yeah, it's going to come full circle. People are going to realise that at its very core it was brilliant um, and maybe just re engage with it as a, a slightly more pure platform. I have mm. a big hope for person, uh, sorry, uh, progressive web apps. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so. I think there's a lot of potential there. In fact, mm. who was it? There was someone, I don't think it was Debenhams, but it was someone like mm. Debenhams, a big chain, who had given up on making a native mm. app for Android and for iOS. Yep. And just said, right, let's just make a decent website. Mm. And it was just it was so the right choice. Have Apple done something slightly regressive about add to home screen? Is that just. 
that's planted itself in my brain is slightly here saying what's that, what's that, that it should be really easy to add stuff to your home screen as a progressive yeah. web app I, mm. I don't know because I, I don't have an Apple yeah. phone is it's it actually still? one of these things that's been since the original iPhone mm. because there wasn't an app store mm. you yeah, can always add it to mm. the there you go. Home oh lovely oh, thank lovely. you who's having the sausages that's me thanks Oh, lovely. Oh, lovely. Right. Thank you very much. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, Do you want another drink, actually? Yeah, I get a Coke. Yeah. Just put it on the tub. Another Coke yeah. and a... Yep. Yeah. Um, I'll just have a Diet Coke, actually, thanks. I've got a Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, you're having sausage, chips and egg, and I'm having scampi yeah, chips. Yeah, scampi's good. With coleslaw. Mm. So, where were... No, so I was reading the other day as well that... Give me this. Um, so, Safari, Apple won't let... Google use their own rendering engine on iOS. Oh, there is that, yeah. And that, that yeah. puts them in control of... Because on Android, you can choose, can't you? You mm. can say, yeah. I want to do Chrome to do this, I want Firefox to do this, and you actually get that rendering engine rather than but that gives, a wrapper. Yeah, but that gives Apple the potential to slip, and the, the accusation mm. on the table is that they're actually purposely hindering the web because, yeah, the App Store is profitable. I don't know, maybe that's... Uh, well... I I look at it on in the sense that the Apple are just trying to you know it's easier for them to be secure mm -hmm. if they know all the rendering you know, the rendering engine is mm. the one that they provide mm. rather than someone else is coming into this ecosystem. But but Chromium's an, Chromium's an open source platform, so mm. I don't know. It's a tricky one, um, mm. but yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of belly aching from the Chrome team about, you know, Apple being closed off. Mm. Oh, lovely, thank you. There you go. All right. Thank you very much. That's great, cheers. Um, but this has always been true of Apple, right? That's been their yeah, philosophy for the but at the same start. time, Chrome is the one that so, fork, forked off from WebKit. Yeah. And um, they're the ones that, you know... No, I'm going to go that route. I'm going to be careful. Right, um, so shall we pause and eat? And we'll be right back to yeah. the mom. Anyway, uh, yes, so post scampi and chips, post sausage egg and chips. Mm. Next question. Is it your turn? No, it's my turn. It's your turn. A lot of things have changed in web design since the original Rissington podcast. Have either of you considered getting out? Let's just step back then. So this is Matt Wilcox, Clive Walker and Nathan Pittman, a bit of a mashup of uh, oh, listeners. Oh, right, see the, the combination of those. Mm, yeah, so there's, there's essentially uh, all three of those asked very similar questions, so I've mashed them up into one. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, have either of you ever considered getting out? If yes, what would you want to do for a new career? Yeah. Or what other careers have you fantasised about when things got more complicated? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So I've asked the question, so you have to ask. First. So first part, have I ever considered getting out? Yeah. Yes. How many N times? Numerous times. Yeah. <laughs> numerous times. Um, I'm not sure I do web design anymore. Mm. I'm really not sure what I do anymore. That's why UX is a useful title. Like, what do you do? Depends what you're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the context. It Depends on the context, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, how much money have you got? <laughs> not very much. Okay, I'm a web designer. Yeah. <laughs> I, interestingly... Uh, probably two years ago now, mm -hmm. I thought about going back into cooking very seriously. I had got in touch with some old colleagues and oh said gosh, I was thinking, right. thinking yeah. of going back in. And I saw a job, I thought that would be a nice entry point. 
gastro pub, cope with that. Went to apply, and something where my brain went, nope, <laughs> don't do it. So, so that's that was that, that was close though. I really did. Actually, I solved that problem. I did uh, secret supper club um, in a local cafe. Friends of mine own a local cafe, so I put on a, a night and invited ten people and cooked. I was like, oh fuck that. Oh really? That 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 was enough to make you think. That well, was a... it was enough to make me realise uh, how much how rusty I was because I designed this menu and and when I got there I realised I designed a menu with uh, five hot courses and I was on my own. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah. But yeah. So anyway, let's oh, so like, even the pudding was hot. Everything was hot. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. God. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have considered getting out, and that was one serious mm. one. What about you? Yes, oh yeah, I was considered getting out. Yeah. And just, just because, I think for various reasons, I mean, one of them was that period of like really no work, you mm, know, yeah. very low amount of work. Um, but also just that kind of feeling of done this for a long time, mm. have now anyway, and mm. just want to do something a little different. Just mm. want to be a bit fresher. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make you feel tired though. Thinking, thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> To be honest, that's my problem. Uh, nowadays, thinking about anything yeah. makes me feel tired. Yeah. yeah, the ideal would be uh, have enough money to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're not even that old. <laughs> no, but then, like, what would you do? Like, mm. what, what have you thought about in terms of career other than chef? What um, would you do? It's really tricky. So, yeah, I don't know. John is the answer. I think so. I've always had a bit of an interest in social work. And I have flirted around the edges of that. I, I did a little bit of social work before I started becoming a web designer, um, but I've never quite, never quite made the step into that. I found my personality type. I found it very difficult because you've got to have a level of detachment that I don't have. No, um, emotionally. Mm, so I don't think I'm a, exhausting. I don't think I'm a, I'm t too much of a drama queen to be a social worker. <laughs> basically, uh, I get too involved. I think. Yeah. Which is. Probably not a good thing. What about you? What are your other? Um, my thing I always thought about is, is basically doing voiceover work mm. or, or narration yeah. or yeah. just using my voice. Yeah. Um, doing audiobooks. Like, I remember reading kids' stories. Mm. In particular, there was one, the BFG. There's a chapter near the end where you get uh, the BFG, you get the little girl, I've got her name in the story yeah. now. Uh, you get the Queen, you get the head of the Navy, the RAF, and <laughs> there's all these characters that I just love yeah. doing that. Well, you see, that is never too, never too late. We've got all the uh, background work here for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the problems is that generally you're working in windowless rooms for that right. kind of work. Yeah. A, bit like, a bit like working in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think I could, like, Ideally, I would like to be outside, but mm. I think the one thing about design is I've always managed to have a window next to my desk. Mm. That's always the, the, the only Surely in thing. this new world, though, you could uh, do audiobooks without having to go into a windowless room. Maybe, maybe, mm. yeah. But yeah, the whole kind of soundproof thing. Well, there we go. I know a few people in publishing. Yeah, maybe we'll put mm. you in touch. Yeah. <laughs> in, in exchange for some more work, please. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what I've always thought about. I yeah. just would like to do something like that. I mean, it's. I keep thinking of Toast of London. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen that. Yes. Where he has yeah. to say the word yes in yeah. as many different ways as possible. Can you hear yes, me? Yes, yes. Brilliant. Definite link for Toast of London. Yes, we'll have to yeah. plenty of I'm glad there's somebody else that knows of Toast of London because I often quite <laughs> I make references and people yeah. are like, what? <laughs> yes, Clem Fandango, yeah. I can hear you. <laughs> uh, so yes, that's what I'd like There's to probably do. other things. I mean, I did want to be a sound engineer at one point. Um, mm. 
had an unfortunate tale there. So Chipping Norton Studio, very famous. Oh yes, yes. Radiohead did um, the album we don't talk about. <laughs> the first album. Oh, Pablo Honey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they did that there. I went, I got in through the door as a chef and promptly volunteered to, for free, participate and make tea in the studio thinking I'll work my way in that way. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's great, John. Um, but we're closing down. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and unfortunately, I, yeah, it's one of those, That's that would have been a career choice for me, mm. but it was one of those such, you know, it just seemed impossible to me. I'd, l I'd love to go back to my 20-year-old self and go, it's fine, just go do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Instead of going, no, I don't, people like me don't do things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, but I think in some ways I'm kind of genuinely quite happy about what I've ended up doing, you know. Yeah, I'd, uh, saying all of that, getting out, so I had one period where I was really unhappy. I'd had a really bad time with the startup, like mm. a horrendous time, and I was ready to give up. I was like, I've done. Yeah. And then I ended up working with a charity called the Rationalist Association. Mm. Um, they had very little money, but really interesting people, really interesting content. And it was like, we need you to redesign our magazine site. Oh, I absolutely loved it. That, yeah. that, that actually stopped me from leaving. Because I was like, I'm done. After the startup, I was like, that's mm. it. I don't care. But I was, they actually gave me my interest back. Oh, interesting. So I think it's yeah, quite yeah. interesting. that, And I did leave, that startup was so bad that I left by choice. I was like, I'm about to shoot myself in the foot financially, but yeah. I was like, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. So. That's the thing, you've got to weigh up the kind of the balance on your mental health too. Yeah. yeah. The effect it has. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Every day, right? Getting out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just be glad that there's something that's making money that, you know, mm. doesn't involve, you know. Well, yeah, it's not really hard work, is it, in the scheme of things? No. Sitting at a computer. No. Yeah, no. I mean. It's mentally tiring, but that's all. Yeah, it's not, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Nathan goes on to ask, um, and this is where the bit of the matchup, uh, if you could do any job for a day, what would it be and why? He said, me, I'd drive one of those mini road sweepers. <laughs> <laughs> the satisfaction of cleaning up little cul-de-sacs whilst listening to my favourite playlist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, related to that, I've often fancied those, you know, the golf carts. <laughs> just like just driving one of those. But I suppose it's not really the job, that's just like, I just want to drive the golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> I've never really thought about this question. I think we've both been like, I'm not sure. Yeah, just could, for a day. I mean, well, if you, if you could do anything for a day, it'd be yeah. like, go to bed and watch Netflix. <laughs> My answer. Yeah. Professional bed Netflix watcher. Yeah. yeah. Piss off somewhere warm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe airline pilot for a day. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. Maybe you'd be something a bit more, you know, different, like owl botherer or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if we could do it in a magical, scientific way, I mean, I'd like to be like, um, what's Grayson Perry for a day or something, <laughs> just experience what his world's yeah. like. What, like John Malkovich? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. I could of transport into another. Yeah. Oh, that's another big yeah. question, isn't it? If you could transport into anyone, who yeah. would you be? But Grayson Perry would be a great one. Oh, I love Grayson Perry mm -hmm. so much. I'd like to transport myself into Boris Johnson so that I could make him say stuff. That yeah, want to well, say. yeah. Just for a day, I'm going to tell you all the truth. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure we've answered that question, but oh. I'm, I'm going with airline pilot. Yeah, I'm going to go. With, I'm going with owl botherer. Owl botherer. I like the idea of that. Yeah. So for the last question, last question. Um, Sam Hardacre says, "What has your favourite biscuit changed in the last ten years? If so, which biscuit and why?" Yeah. Bonus points for covering tea dunkability mm. in your reasoning. When I first read this question, I was like, 
I don't have a favourite biscuit, but then I realised I do have a favourite biscuit. Ah, a very well, favourite that's been consistent and it never changes. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, I would call it a, a genre of biscuit. <laughs> so yeah. sh shortbread. Ah, okay. Or, you know, Dutch butter cookies that you get mm. at Christmas and put a tin of those in front of me and uh, I have to lie and say the kids must have stolen them. <laughs> yeah, so definitely shortbread. Any kind of shortbread, posh mm. shortbread, cheap shortbread. Yes. Shortbread, I think mm. I've, 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 I could tell you the right, but mm. Lee loves shortbread, mm. you know. And again, going back to my cookery days, you know, fresh baked French sablés and things are the ultimate buttery shortbread. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so mm. have not they that has not changed in my life. Really. I hold you rate on dunkability. Well, the um, I say the Dutch butter cookies are pretty good for dunking. Get a bit crisper. I got to break apart too quickly. No. Well, you know, I'm shoveling them down so they don't really get a chance. <laughs> yeah. It's not a soak, it's a dunk. <laughs> Some biscuits are quite nice because you, if you do it and then it just leaves a nice sludge at the bottom. Yeah, well, rich tea are perfect for that. Yeah. yeah. You have to hold them for a bit and then they yeah. drop off. And, and you, you get that last taste and go, mm. yeah. it's like cup of soup. <laughs> yeah. Some things don't work so well for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder actually, is dunking, is that a British thing? Do you get that in other don't countries? Know. Well, teas are very. Strangely British thing. Yeah. Well, tea with milk. Tea with very, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. However, yeah. When, when he says tea, he means. It's a very Indian thing. Or a Chinese means, thing. Yeah, yeah, but he means tea with milk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, yeah. not in your lap saying. So, if people don't know about that, basically the idea is that you dunk your biscuit in your tea and gives it a bit of moisture, a bit of warmth. Mm. If you've got a chocolate biscuit, it kind of melts the chocolate a bit. Yeah. Um, I quite like a hobnob, which is mm. the one that Peter Kay goes on about as being yeah. the. The SAS of biscuits. <laughs> Dump me again and again. <laughs> you know, it's like you can take it. Um, but I'm not a big biscuit eater. Mm. The, the, the way I'm going to answer this, which dunkability is going to be very poor. Yeah. But it's the thing called a whisper bite. Mm. So which I've never heard of. Like whisper mm. and whisper gold. I've only last few years come come back after chocolate it. bars. Yeah. Yeah. They're chocolate bars. But Whisper Bite was a Whisper Gold, and it had little balls of biscuits in it. Mm, okay. So this is the biscuit connection. It's very yeah. tenuous, but that was my favourite ever thing. Mm. And I wish they'd bring that back. Yeah, but not. But what's wrong with the you Twix? Can, you can dunk it. Well, yeah. Twix is good. Yeah, but that's just it. I like. But that's a biscuit. It's just I got could... a shitload of chocolate on it. <laughs> yeah, and caramel. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just millionaire shortbread. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love a Twix. Yeah, I really love Twix. Um, but yeah, no, I will dunk things in my tea like Whisper Bite and mm. you know, Whisper Gold. I don't drink so much tea anymore, that might be part of the problem. Don't you? No. It's I really drink, weird. I drink more tea now than I've ever done mm. in my life. I stopped drinking coffee for a long time and mm. only drank tea. And then when I went back out to work, I got a bit hooked on the uh, coffee vending machines. There's something about them. I feel right. really bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> my bank balance is like. What are you doing? <laughs> but there's just, there's just something yeah. about it as a routine when you're yeah. commuting. Yes. So. It's and it's also like having a nice warm thing to hold. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, driving and holding warm things that are free is uh, mm. an arrestable offence in this country. <laughs> as I keep thinking about a poo bag. <laughs> I was thinking about my Greg's sausage roll. All oh, right. <laughs> uh, I, think, yeah. I think we've done. If people aren't getting the theme now, it's more these questions that we'll answer thoroughly. <laughs> yes. Web design questions are too fucking hard. Is your, is your bis favorite biscuit changed in the last 10 years? Well, it depends on context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it depends where I am. In the car, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think that's that's uh, that's enough for us for this time. Yeah. Um, and we shall see you. Thanks for sticking with us, and we'll see you maybe hopefully one more time before Christmas. I think one more time before Christmas. Yeah, we've got we've got enough questions. Um, and for those listening, if we haven't answered your questions, and I know I was begging for questions on the street the other day, um, <laughs> they're in the list. They're coming. Um, and we got some good ones actually for the next episode. Some fun ones. So. Excellent. Yes. Cool. We'll be back with our jingle bells. Yes. Right. Time to go to sleep after that scampi. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>